Isn't it good news this morning that our feet are on an unshakable rock? I mean, that is good news, isn't it? Well, what is up, Crossroads Church? It is good to be here with you. My name's Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if you have been around Crossroads for a while, uh, you know that the last couple of years, we have been going through uh, two books. Uh, One is the book of Luke, which is an account written by Luke of the life and ministry of Jesus. And then we've been also going through the book of Acts. We started last summer, and uh, which is also written by Luke, uh, which is an account of the early church. So after Jesus dies and resurrects from the grave, uh, the book of Acts starts and we see some incredible, incredible things. And the reason why we've been going through these books is not only um, for the benefit of, of knowing what happened, like there's a lot that we get to learn about not only just what happened in these moments, but about who our God is, but more than just cool stories that we get to, to look at, we get to look back because there's this really cool connection that happens when we stop and think about it, that uh, all the way from Jerusalem 2,000 years ago to Thornton, Colorado today, like there's a trail of faith. And when we stop and think about it, for every one of us who's a follower of Christ, that our story of faith somehow, some way connects back to these Stories. Did you know that? That, that your faith is, is passed down uh, generation to generation between hundreds and thousands of people, uh, and it connects back to the apostles. It connects back to these very stories that we read about. And as we look back, we get encouragement, don't we? We get encouraged, we get strengthened to move forward because as a part of the church, this story is still being written. The story of Jesus' church is still being written, and you and I get to be a part of that. I mean, what an incredible story. Like, what an incredible connection that these stories are connected to us in such a, a cool way. And so last year, we, we started with season one. Last summer, we started with season one in the book of Acts. And some incredible things happen, like Pentecost, which is the day that the Holy Spirit came and, and uh, filled the believers, inhabiting the believers of Jesus Christ for incredible works. And here we see people speaking in tongues, like in different languages. Uh, we see <clears throat> people being healed. We see thousands of people coming to faith. Just this incredible thing. And yeah, season one, the theme was that God was moving by his Spirit in his church in just incredible, like mind-blowing ways that if we're not careful, when you read through those stories, it's easy to just think of them as kind of like this distant, like, oh, that must have been kind of cool. But like to stop and realize like, no, 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 this actually happened. Like these things happened in history. Uh, Like it's mind-blowing to think about God and what he's done through his church. And then earlier this year, we did season two just to kind of catch us up a little bit. Season two, the theme was this, is the church was the, is the countercultural movement that creates a new kind of human being with new values, new identity, and, and new community. And we saw this happen over and over again, right? Where their values were no longer the same that they had before their faith in Christ. That their identities were no longer rooted in the things that were rooted in before their, their, their faith in Christ. Their, their, their community 
was no longer the same. In fact, we, in season two, we saw the gospel of Jesus travel into, because of persecution, it spread out of Jerusalem. And before we know it, people who never imagined that they would be a part of the movement of Jesus were now being invited into and included into the, the family of Christ. Because Peter had this big vision. Remember the vision of the sheep being let, let down and, and all these animals? And the whole purpose of it, God tells him, is that, look, this is no longer just for Jewish people, but it's for non-Jewish people, also known as Gentiles. That This is for everybody. Let's take this message to everyone. <clears throat> and just incredible, incredible stuff. And so today, as we pick up in season three, we're going to be in Acts chapter 12. And what I would encourage you to do over these next seven weeks is if, you ha- if you're not in the regular uh, habit of maybe bringing a Bible to church or, or opening one up in your app, that I would just encourage you to do that. We're going to be covering a lot of text, and it's really important for us to, to, to be able to make notes or underlines or as God speaks to us through his word that we that we make note of that. And so then later on in the week, you can go back and, and kind of revisit that and see what it is the Holy Spirit is telling you. And I would actually also encourage you to, to take some time over the next week to just read the first 11 chapters and kind of catch yourself up to where we are in Acts chapter 12. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 12 today. And I want to start before we dive into the text. We have a lot of text to cover. We're basically going to go through the whole chapter. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to start with a, a word of prayer. So would you bow in prayer with me? Well, gracious God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that this is a day that you have made. Thank you for your church. God, thank you for the early days that we get to look back and in awe and wonder and see the incredible things that you did through your church by your spirit. God, that here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the world, and your message is still moving forward in power. So we're just grateful for that, grateful that we get to be a part of your church, grateful that we've been brought in, adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High King. So God, today as we start this season three in Acts again, as we take the next seven weeks and, and push forward through this book, Lord, would you, would you speak to our hearts as your church, as your bride? God, would you form us? Would you purify us? Would you draw us closer to you through this? We thank you for it. <clears throat> In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 1. And fair warning, I'm on the tail end of getting over a nasty cold. So if I lose my voice, I'm just going to keep talking and we'll see how you do at reading lips. Okay, so fair warning. All right. Acts chapter 12, verse 1, it says this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And uh, when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. 
Let me stop here and, and uh, go over this because you, you hear the, the name Herod and you think, this guy again? Like, man, does he live forever? Like, who is this Herod guy? Well, actually, we see five different Herods throughout the, the Gospels and Acts. We see five. Um, this guy is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was the guy that when Jesus was born, if you remember, he put out a decree that all males under two should be put to death. That, that was this guy's grandfather, like a shining, uh, happy-go-lucky guy, right? Killing babies, right? Uh, this guy's uncle was the one who uh, killed John the Baptist and took off his head at the request of his daughter, right? So, so th this is like a family tree of dysfunction, and this guy, Herod Agrippa, he was uh, this kind of this terrible, evil, playboy sort of guy. Like he, he just kind of went around and did whatever he wanted. He actually ended up in prison, and uh, in a Roman prison. And because uh, his friend Claudius became emperor uh, a little while later, he was actually released. Uh, his childhood friend released him from prison, not only released him, but put him in power in the area of Judea and, and soon then was in, ruling over this whole region of Judea and Samaria. So this is who this Herod guy was. And so Herod, <clears throat> what he does is he gets James, the, the brother of John. Now, there's a couple of James also. Uh, James, the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of John. James, the brother of Jesus is the one who wrote the book of James. James, the brother of John, is the one that Herod killed by the sword. And when it says he killed him by the sword, that's just kind of like uh, uh, G-rated language for he, he removed his head from his neck. Like, that's what it was. They, they put him down on a stump, a big axe or sword or something sharp came down and removed his head from his body. Now, this was only done to murderers and apostates. And the Jews loved this. Because what this signified was that uh, James and all the believers were apostates and should be treated as such. And so, so James being beheaded, the Jews loved it. Now, Herod was kind of a sucker for attention. He was a Roman, but he, he, he was a Roman, but he observed Herod, or, sorry, he, he observed Jewish tradition, which is why he didn't kill Peter during Passover, right? He kept him in prison. But seeing that the Jews loved what he did to James, he's like, hey, man, this makes my approval rating skyrocket. Well, I'm just going to keep going. Like, who, who's next? Go get Peter. Go get Peter, throw him in jail. Uh, because it's Passover week, I'm not going to kill him because it's, it's illegal to, to murder or to capital punishment uh, during Passover week. Did you know that? Does that ring a bell? Remember who was killed over Passover week? Jesus? Illegally killed by their own laws during Passover week. And so here Peter, who's escaped from prison before. You remember that in the, in the last season. Like, he escaped from prison before. And, and Herod knew this. Like, this guy's squirrely. Like, he's slimy, and he's going to figure out a way to get out of prison. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to assign four squads of soldiers to watch over him. Four squads of soldiers translates into 16 Roman guards uh, taking shifts, four at a time, watching Peter, literally in the cell with him. Two of them chained to Peter and then two of them by the door. Like, this guy is not getting out. Herod says, if there's anything I'm going to do about it, this guy is not getting out. And I just want to stop here for a moment and just imagine, like, 
the state of the church. Like, just imagine what was going on in, in their minds, right? Like, two of their main leaders, two of the apostles arrested, one of whom has already been killed, and the other one is in prison. I mean, just imagine, like, the, the fear, the, the unknown, the, the worry, the, the despair, like, the hopelessness, even helplessness. Like, what can we really do? I mean, we don't have any power against Rome. Now, some of you type A's hear me and hear this story, and you're like, man, let's go get them, right? Like, we can get a militia together. We can flank them on this side. Like, you guys go in the front. We're going to distract the guards. We're going to poke them in the eye, and then you get Peter, cut the chains, and we're out of here, right? Like, let's go storm the hill. But that's not what they did. What did they do? It says they prayed. They prayed. They prayed earnestly. The Greek word earnestly means like a straining, like an agony prayer. And they prayed because, in part, they could do nothing else. They they could do nothing else. I mean, we know what what that's like, right? You know what those situations are in your life where, where there's nothing you can do? Like there's nothing else you can do, and so you pray. I mean, what is that for you? Is that that health diagnosis that, that, that's come, that, that unknown health issue, that, that child, that adult child that's making bad decisions that you can't control? Maybe a financial pit, not of your own doing, or maybe you just look around and you see the chaos in the world and you're like, man, like, here we are calling good evil and evil good, and I don't know what to do about it. Like, I can't do anything about it. It is out of my control, so I'm just going to pray. This is what they did. And spoiler, spoiler alert, we're going to see this in just a few verses, but he, he, does, he does get rescued miraculously again, right? But here's the thing. Um, here's the elephant in the room. Is what about James. What about James, like the one who was just killed? Like did, nobody says anything about him, <laughs> right? I mean, I, I'm sure that they prayed for James after he was arrested. I'm sure that they believed God for great things. They've seen it before. They'll see it again. Like, God, you can do this. You can save James. Please release him. Uh, please get him out of, of jail. Like, help him. Like, God, I, I'm sure that they prayed earnestly for James, yet he died. Like, how do, we, how do we make sense of that? You know, some will tell you that, hey, prayer is like a, a recipe. Like, if you pray, and if you do this, and if you do these right things, that, that then this will happen. But, like, let's face it, it's not always the case. Like, do we believe that good things can happen, that God can do miraculous things? Absolutely. But what do we do when he doesn't? I mean, you've, you've probably been there. Some of you are there right now where, where, you, where you see, like, God, why didn't you act? God, why didn't you prevent this? Did I do something wrong? Do you love them more? Did I, do I not measure up? Like, am I being punished for something? Did you not hear my prayer? God, why did she have to die of cancer? God, why did my child have to go astray? God, why didn't you fill in the blank? 
And you know, most of the time, if not all the time, there's just no answer, is there? There's just simply no answer. But here's what we can rest in. And this is what the church was resting in, right? They didn't let the death of James prohibit them from praying and believing for the release of Peter. <laughs> they didn't let this, this unfortunate situation that they didn't want to happen to prevent them from still believing and still praying for the release of Peter. Like, that's, that's deep, And so here's what we can rest in, is that God is sovereign. No matter what happens, God is sovereign. And his understanding is higher than ours. So what does this mean? Is that when it doesn't make sense to us, it doesn't mean that God forgot. It doesn't mean that he overlooked you. It doesn't mean that you're just being punished. It doesn't mean that he's just mad at you. It doesn't mean that, that, you, that, that, that he just forgot and messed up. It means that his understanding is higher than ours. And sometimes that's all we can hold on to, isn't it? God, I don't understand it, but I trust. I don't, I don't get it. I would have done it differently if I was you. Like, let me inform you. Let me consult you. But, but I, I know that your understanding is higher than mine. And here's the interesting thing about this is that even though Peter gets released miraculously here, in 20 years or so, he, he dies. In fact, the way he dies is he gets crucified upside down. He, gets, he requests to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same way as his Savior. What, what an awful way to die. And in 20 years, I'm sure that Peter was thinking like, hey, I know people are praying for me and I, and I know that God's released me from jail before, so like maybe this will happen again but it didn't. And as Peter's being crucified, I'm sure he wondered like, God, why not this time? <laughs> right? Like, like, why didn't you save me this time? Not only Peter, but all the apostles end up eventually dying for their faith. You see, here's the thing is that God is sovereign over all things. God is sovereign over all Things. It's not that he forgets. It's not that he's too busy. It's not that he's just uh, pouring out his wrath on you. He is still God even when our prayers don't get answered in the way that we want. Even when Peter is crucified up, upside down, he is still God. Even when our spouse dies of cancer, he is still God. Even when your child gets sick, even when that job falls through, when you're financially ruined, whatever it is, God is still God in all of it. I mean, what's that one thing? What's that one thing that you've been praying for earnestly? You've been praying for for years, for decades. What's that one thing? Who's that person you have been praying for? Don't stop. Don't stop praying. He's listening. And this same God is the one who's still working. And no matter what happens, if he moves miraculously, our response is the same. We worship him and we trust him. If he doesn't move in the way that we want, we worship him and we trust him and we remember that he is always, always good, and especially in those dark seasons. Man, holding on to that, remembering that he is always good, like that will make or break you, won't it? We worship him and we trust. And this is what they were doing that night at Mary's house. 
praying earnestly, remembering. I'm sure that they were talking like, remember when, when God did this before? Like when God shook the prison and, and Peter went walking out? Like, let's pray for that again. I mean, what an amazing invitation that we have. I think we take it for granted. And it, this amazing invitation that we have to, to pray that we have a direct connection with the, with the creator of the universe that at any moment, in any place on earth, no matter what situation, like I can cry out to him and not only does he already know what it is I'm going to be praying for, but he's already working and active. Man, if we prayed. You see, we take prayer seriously here at Crossroads. Loretta leads a great team of, of prayer warriors in a lot of different capacities. Like, let it not be lost on us that any fruit we see here at Crossroads Church is an outcome of the many, many decades and, and years and hours and hours of people wetting the carpet with their tears, praying that God would move in Crossroads Church and in this community. Every weekend, we invite you to come and, and pray with people during our services. Like, this isn't a sign of weakness. This is a sign of trust. That we can pray with each other. That we can go to God. That our, that our prayers are like incense to him. That he loves it when we come to him in prayer. What an amazing thing that he allows us to, to do that. Okay, I... I got to keep moving. I'm only five verses in and there's like 25 verses. So uh, don't worry. We're only going to go a couple more hours. So, um, uh, so right before Passover ends, uh, verse six, it says this. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two, two soldiers bound with chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And I just want to stop here for just a moment and say, what the heck? Like, Peter, you're sleeping? <laughs> I mean, what in the world? Like, I don't know about you, but I would be an anxious, nervous wreck. Like, I know what's going to happen, right? I'm chained up. I know what's going to happen. I know that soon my head is not going to be here anymore. And like, how do I get out of this? How, what am I supposed to do? Like, what is going to happen? And here Peter is sleeping. <laughs> like, I'm kind of jealous. Why was he sleeping? He didn't know he was going to get rescued again. Like, he wasn't sleeping in assurance that this isn't going to happen. Like, oh, I can sleep because I'm not going to die tomorrow. No, like, he was convinced. You see, we often think that peace only comes when our circumstances are at peace. But what Peter was experiencing here was a peace that surpasses those circumstances. A peace that surpasses those, that his understanding. You see, for Peter, it was the very peace and presence of Christ. It was a win-win situation for him. If I, if I live, then hey, I get to go and, and spread the gospel more. If I die, I get to go and be with Jesus again, the guy that I was just hanging out with a few years back. Like, it's a win-win for me, so I don't have anything to worry about. I can just lay here at peace and sleep. In verse 7, it picks up again. It says this. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to Peter, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side, and he woke him up, saying, Hey, get up quickly. And the chains fell off of his hands, and the angel said to him, Dress yourself 
and put on your sandals, and, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and he followed him, and he did not know what was being done by the angel. Uh, he, did, he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. And when he passed the first and the second guard, he came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them and of its own accord, and they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. And Peter came to his senses, and he says, well, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Man, here we see the theme of season three. Here we see the theme of season three. Do we have that slide, Michelle? It's this, as the church, despite great opposition, becomes the unstoppable kingdom of God. Like this is the theme that we're going to see every week throughout the course of these next seven weeks is that there's this unstoppability to the church. That every time there's an attempt to stop it, every time that there is something that's trying to, to quench it, to, 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 to quench it, it, it just keeps moving forward. That, that every attempt just is like a, a grease fire, like pouring water on a grease fire, and it just kind of spreads even more. And here Peter is, is miraculously freed from prison. Can prison stop it? No. Can the death of James stop it? No. Can a bloodthirsty evil ruler stop it? No. And here's the thing. When life gets overwhelming for you and for me, when the world is going crazy all around us, when things seem to be like we are on the losing side, we have to stop and we remember that, man, the church is not ours. The church is his. And he declared from the very beginning that I'm going to, to build my church and nothing, not even the gates of hell, can prevail against it. Nothing, nothing's going to stop it. It is absolutely unstoppable. And is that still true today? A resounding yes. Isn't that good? Like to know that we are on the winning side. No matter what happens, it's unstoppable. So back to the story. Peter is set free from prison. He's in a daze. He's like sleepwalking, right? Which kind of hits a little close to home for me. I sleepwalk often. That's my wife. I torture her with it. I talk to her and I have no idea what I'm doing. The other night, I don't even know if I should say this. Uh, the other night, I, I woke her up in the middle of the night. I was asleep, but I, I'm like, hey, is, is anybody in our bathroom? Because I really need to go. And she's in her graciousness. She's like, no, it's, it's free. And I, like, I swore there were people like using our bathroom, but I had to check first. And anyway, that was a side note. But here, Peter is like sleepwalking, right? And, uh, and, and, he, and he comes out of his days and he, and he realizes like, okay, this is real life. I'm, I'm no longer in a daze. I'm no longer sleepwalking. I know where to go. I'm going to go to Mary's house because I know that that's where they're at. And I know that that's where my friends are all praying for me. And he goes to Mary's house and it's like, it's like a, a, a Seinfeld episode, what happens next. He, he knocks on the door and the servant girl, Rhonda, leaves the prayer meeting and comes and opens the door. And she's like, oh my gosh, it's Peter. And she runs back into the prayer meeting and she's like, hey guys, 
Peter's at the door and they're like, shut up. No, he's not. Like, what are you talking about? Like, let's just keep praying. And she's like, no, 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 really. Peter's at the door. And she runs back and she's like, Peter, hold on. And she runs back and like, and just this hilarious episode or hilarious thing between Kramer and, and George Casanza is what I see in my head. I don't know why. Um, pray for me. But, but this hilarious uh, interaction happens. And, and finally they let Peter in and he goes into the prayer meeting and they're all amazed and they're all astounded and they're all thanking God for this incredible gift that God has done this incredible thing that God has done. And, and then, uh, and they're worshiping God and, and, you know, everything's good. Well, the next day, Herod gets up and realizes that Peter's gone again. Like this happened again. How could this happen again? In his anger, he has all of the 16 guards that were watching him put to death. Like he's just killing everybody because he's just this angry kind of crybaby. And he, and he leaves and he goes to one of his palaces in a town called Caesarea. And it says this in verse 20. <clears throat> now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And, and having persuaded Blastus, the king of Chamberlain, uh, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. So just kind of a side note. This is a little bit of a, a separated story, right? Like uh, Herod's in a different place now. Peter is safe. Herod's in Caesarea, and he has a beef going on with Tyre and Sidon because they are dependent on him They're, for food. There's this famine going on in the world, and he's trying to figure out how do I just rule over the, like how do I just have this iron fist over these people? So on an appointed day, Herod put out his, on his royal robes and he took a seat upon the throne and he delivered a speech to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of God and not a man. And I love this part. <laughs> Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him, which actually that word struck is the same word used when the angel struck Peter and woke him up. Struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and he breathed his last. <laughs> like I love how, how specific Luke gets here. He was a doctor. He was, he was a very specific guy. And he's like, yeah, uh, Herod was an idiot. He uh, claimed to be God. He accepted worship as God. And so the real God struck him and he was eaten by worms <laughs> and he died. And then here it is, verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. The church, despite great opposition, is the unstoppable kingdom of God. Like nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. Even if it takes having an evil king killed and eaten by worms, nothing's going to stop it. He's not going to allow it to be stopped. And so as I wrap this up in just a few minutes, there, there's two main themes going on <clears throat> in this chapter. There's two main themes, and they're kind of on an extreme uh, opposite, right? So on one side, there's great power in prayer. We see that with the disciples praying for Peter. And on the other side, there's great destruction in pride. You see, there's great power in prayer. Still today, there's great power in prayer. And there's great destruction in pride. And I just, I just got to ask, like, 
do we really believe this? I mean, a statement like this can be said in church and you can just like say, yep, amen. Like, I believe that. Like, I, I agree. I agree that, that there's great power in prayer and there's great destruction in pride. But I just wonder if we really believe that, like deep down in our bones, believe that. Not, not like a condemning question at all, but, but really like, do I really believe that? Do I live like that? Do I live like I believe, like there's great power in prayer and great destruction in pride? You see, intellectually, it's like, well, yeah. But when life is upside down, <clears throat> when life is going crazy, do we gather together with our closest friends and earnestly pray? Do we do that even when life isn't crazy? Do we believe that we have this direct line of communication to the creator of the universe, to the king of all kings? Do we really believe that our, prayer, uh, that our prayers are being heard by him, that we can go to him at any time? Like, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that God is still in control, even when it seems like everything is out of control? Do I really believe that, that he can do great things? Do, do, I, do I pray not to just get from God what I want, but, but to seek his heart, to draw close to him, to align my heart with, with his. Like, do I really believe that there's great power in prayer and great destruction in pride? Because man, pride is, there's so much pride in my life. And my guess is in your life as well. Now, it may not be being worshipped like a god like they did to Herod, but, but maybe our pride is a little bit more subtle, like self-reliance or hiding my sin. That's pride. This, this unhealthy sense of independence. Maybe when I, when I look on other people with judgment and think, how can you have messed up so much? It's pride. Or what about people pleasing? Like any people pleasers in the room? Like how much energy do we spend trying to impress other people, trying to be accepted by other people? That's pride. I think that pride and prayer are, are connected, that how much I pray or not pray is directly connected to how much pride in my life. You see, there takes a humility to pray. There takes a, a reliance. There, there takes a rejection of, of all of those things in order to, to humbly come to God and, and to pray. Like There, there, there takes an, a humility to pray. You see, there's great power in prayer and great destruction in pride. That's why the Bible all over the place warns against pride. You see, Jesus was the best example of humility, right? If there was anybody who had the reason to be proud, it was him. But it, it says in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, limiting himself, making himself low to be servant of all. The king of all became servant of all so that he would live and die for you and for me, that we would be brought near to God, that we would be forgiven Man, what an amazing example he set for us. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, in humility to come and to to serve and to live and to, to die on our behalf. God, may we follow his example. And Lord, thank you for this story in Acts 12 as we are just reminded of the power of prayer, God, that you still today move powerfully in situations, whether we realize it or not. God, may we be brought near to you again in prayer. May we bring everything to you in prayer. And God, the whole time holding on to the truth that no matter what comes our way, no matter what happens, that your church is the unstoppable kingdom of God and that you are sovereign and that you are powerful and that you are good. And it's in Jesus' resurrected and powerful name we pray these things. Amen. If you're at a place where you want to take a step in following Jesus, Maybe you haven't made a decision to follow him yet, but you'd like to. Man, we would love to to talk with you about that. We'd love to to pray with you. We'd love to answer questions. We'd love to celebrate with you. Uh, You can text the name Jesus to this number and a real life person will get back in touch with you, all right? As we do every weekend, we're going to take a moment and just remember the sacrifice of Jesus that he made for us on the cross, humbling himself, limiting himself, the creator of all flesh, becoming flesh. his flesh being broken, his blood being poured out for you and for me that we may be brought near to God again. Let's remember together. And the cup representing the blood of Jesus, let's remember. Well, friends, we're going to spend some time rejoicing, remembering, praising our God. We're also going to be, uh, we have, like I said, we have people who are in the back ready to pray with you. Uh, if Whatever it is that's going on in your world, if you'd like someone to come alongside you in prayer, now's your time, all right? Would you stand as we sing together? <clears throat>